Welcome to the Behind the Curtain Podcast, your real-world guide to real estate investment and property management. In this episode, we'll be chatting with Mike about his investment journey in Neighborhood Chat. We'll talk about foreclosures and evictions and what we're hearing, and then be answering some of your questions. Hi, I'm Glenn Green. And I'm Brett Bernard. Hey, Mike, thanks for uh, joining us. And just for the people that are listening, uh, Mike's uh, an investor of ours out of California, out-of-town investor. Uh, I won't reveal his last name. He is Italian, so he may be on, uh, what's that, uh, witness protection program or something. <laughs> so uh, I won't reveal your last name, Mike, but I, thanks for joining us today. I wanted to, uh, yeah, I wanted to take it, our last show we talked a lot about uh, investors, new investors, or, or, or older season investors going into new areas, and <clears throat> what it means to find an agent that understands the market, understands uh, the street by street differences in these different areas, understands how to protect your interest, uh, understands what kind of tenants are in the different areas you're you're looking to buy. And I briefly mentioned that I had an investor that before coming to me. Uh, ended up with an agent and uh, obviously picked a bad agent because things went upside down on you immediately. So if you would, just for our listeners' sake, give me a short description of that experience. Okay. Yeah, well, nice to join you guys. Um, I uh, I had a friend out here uh, who um, referred me to an agent uh, in Memphis. Uh, it was actually his sister-in-law. <laughs> Oh, wow. And uh, yeah. And then I come to find out that he doesn't use her anymore. But anyways, uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny, right? And after a while, I, I, I found out why. Anyhow. Um, yeah. That's another I, story. I, yeah. I, uh, I come to find out that, uh, you know, the, the Memphis market is just a lot different, more different than it is in California, where the, you know, the cycles are, are just astronomically different where out here it uh if you're looking on a graph it just it just goes up and then and then when it hits a recession it drops way way down and so you're going to lose a lot of uh, a lot of value in your uh, in your property um uh, but what i come to find out that is in memphis uh it does drop but doesn't drop as as drastically i, I just don't understand i don't know why but uh, it's just uh is there something well, new to me? You know, you and I have talked about this before, but my belief is is because Memphis is such a blue collar distribution city that, and so many people inside the city limits rent, and therefore because of the enormous amount of renters inside the city limits, rental properties are are very desirable, and because they're desirable, the prices tend to either level off or continue to go up in value. That's an interesting, that's very interesting. Uh, I was just, um, you know, well, that's kind of like what actually, you know, brought me out to, to Memphis. And, um, so, you know, when I, uh, first, um, got a hold of, uh, uh, this agent, um, and I, 
I, you know, kind of trust, <laughs> you know, you take a trust, you know, you kind of like sure. put yourself out there in the beginning. You always do, you know, you have to, it's just part of how it works. And, um, you know, immediately it went South, but, um, you know, we got a, a couple good properties, but like I said, uh, there's a couple of things that, um, really, really took, took me by surprise here. Yep. One of the, one of the main things is that you closed on this property on what, the end of August? last year yes september yeah and we just got her out of the house a few weeks ago since the time you closed and the time we got her out how much rent did you collect zero <laughs> zero I'm actually, I'm actually yeah yeah negative uh including right. you know the, the yard work and stuff so not to mention what you're about to dump into it to get her rent ready now so we can get a paying tenant in there yeah you know one of the big things was uh you know i i do real estate out west here uh, it's a, it's a side thing I do. I, I have a California state license. And, um, but when I went into this, I, you know, I mean, I over, it was just so stupid of me. I should have asked about the rental agreement, but I assumed, and you know what happens when you assume, mm-hmm. uh, uh, make sure an ass. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you and me. <laughs> so I assumed that, you know, the agreement was in place, but I immediately, you know, requested that, uh, the agreement and, um, uh, there was no signatures and I was really, I was really taken. I was like, I couldn't believe that not only, not only did the agent not look out for my best interest, she did not, um, uh, nor did the, uh, the escrow officer, which I, you know, I, I, in my opinion, you guys use attorneys out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you guys call them attorneys. You know, we call them escrow officers out here. They're supposed to look out for that. And, you know, um, I'm not finished with this deal. You know, I think I'm going to uh, pursue some legal action. But um, I think there may have been an insider type of, you know, get this property sold. Glenn and I see that a lot. Um, you don't really figure it out until later once the property sells, and then you kind of figure out who bought it and who was representing and how it all came up, how it came down. And um, so, yeah, that, in my opinion, what happened to you, I wasn't involved, but I don't know about the the ethical side of it. But I will tell you, number one, your agent should have discussed with you the type of tenants you're going to get for that geographical location i'm not putting down a particular area of town it's just that's the way it is that area you're going to have a particular type of tenant who works in a particular type of field um, and your risk of eviction and not getting rent is higher than if you were to buy some in cordova for instance um, a coupled with that your agent did not which is the first thing they should do when an offer is accepted is request a copy of the lease and a copy of the rent roll. Had she done that, you would have known immediately that the tenant hadn't signed the lease and that the rent roll, which after you sent it to me, I looked at it. It looks like somebody just whipped it up on a computer at the last minute so they'd have something. Uh, and I would even I would even question the estoppel that you had the seller sign as if that because every everything they said in that document turned out to be completely false not only that um your your employer that uh, your your boss that you work for did some research and also got a hold of the previous owner and uh he indicated that she hadn't been paying rent prior to me buying it and not only did he say that not only did he say that 
but I was the estoppel. I'm sorry, there, um, our um, our purchase agreement, the selling agent, you know, because we closed earlier than the 30 days, uh, he to make it look really good, uh, they they prorated two days rent. You know what I mean? They prorated two days rent, of which she hadn't been paying. Yeah, which she hadn't been paying to make it. I, I, it's it, it's really good. They did it. They pretty. They did a pretty pretty decent job of trying to cover up. But I right. think it was. Uh, I think it was a. Um, uh, uh, both agents had to know. They had to know. And Glenn, wouldn't wouldn't you agree that most? It's not hard to be an agent, but it's. It's a lot of work to be a good agent because there's a lot that you just don't call an agent and say, "Hey, find me a house." There's a there's a there's a process. So go through the process real quick of of uh, how at least how you and I operate versus. Well, when whenever I'm talking to an investor, I want to understand what their investment objectives are. Where do you want to be? How much do you want to spend? What, you know, what's your view of what it is you're you're trying to accomplish? And most of the time it's I can tell when they've been to a seminar because um, they think they're going to come in and, and, and purchase, you know, forty thousand dollar properties and get six fifty a month in rent. And <clears throat> they're going to have a great tenant for years. And that's not going to be the case if you're in the wrong part of town. Um that's what I call false ROI because if you buy that property and you have to evict once a year and repaint and repair the property in between tenants, there goes all your ROI. Uh, so I try to drive my investors into the areas that I know they're they're, they're going to be happy with their investment and then set them up in my system so that they can see the listings that pertain strictly to their search criteria. And that's how you build that trust relationship that we were talking about. Now, from an ethical standpoint, if a a seller's agent tells you they're going to do something and they don't do it, then they're in the wrong. Uh, if they don't mention it and you don't ask for it, then it falls under the buyer beware rule. As buyer, you got to ask the right questions, but that should come through your agent. So when you're buying a tenant-owned property, you're always going to ask for it, and written in the contract, by the way, uh, that the the contract is based upon the buyer's review and acceptance of the current lease, the rent payment history for the current tenants, and a walkthrough by the agent right after binding. And so that's going to protect you to a degree because then it really is the escrow officer's responsibility to make sure that that was done because it's a part of the contract. If it's not a part of the contract, then it's hard to blame the escrow officer that you didn't get what you thought you wanted. Um but I would say that if somebody made you, if a licensed agent made you promises that weren't kept, you should file a complaint with the local board or with the Tennessee Real Estate Commission and make that known. Let them investigate it. 
because if there's an agent running around out there and he's not abiding by the the laws of the state of Tennessee or the the ethics of the local board and rules of conduct, I don't want them out there representing all the licensed agents of Memphis. It looks bad on us. You know, yeah, this experience for you was uh, crappy. I mean, uh, we all agree the agent did a horrible job. Uh, you ended up carrying the brunt of the cost, which, you know, once we're done with rent-ready work, you're probably looking at between lost rent and maintenance and rent-ready, $15,000, $16,000 without collecting a single dime in income. You are not properly represented by your agent, for, for sure. sure. That, yeah, that's for so, sure, 100%. But we've worked hard. We've gotten uh, the house vacated. Uh, Rent Ready Works about to start. We're going to get it on the market and get a tenant in there. And hopefully, uh, you'll start getting some cash flow. But the problem is, how long is it going to take you to recuperate the 16000 that you flushed down the toilet? A couple of years. Yeah. I mean, you got a couple of years before you're going to break even now. So, that that was all because, and it wasn't your fault because you were referred to that agent. But that was all simply because... An agent was involved that didn't care about your interests, didn't care about uh, tomorrow, didn't care about you buying another house from her. Um, all she cared about was getting this deal done and getting paid. I, st- I keep stressing for any investor listening, when you get ready to buy in another market, take your time and find you a good agent. I can tell you there's 100 people today that will refer their best friend or their brother or their sister who's a real estate agent. Glenn and I know that 99% of those are dumber than bricks. Well, there's about, in the the Memphis board, there's probably about 4,000 licensed agents. Of those 4,000 agents, I, I can promise you, 95% of them don't work with investors and don't want to. I've had plenty of agents come to us and say, we'll give you our leads from investors because we just don't do that. I don't understand that, but most agents don't work with investors, and that's why they miss things like making sure you get a copy of the current lease, rent payment history, etc. They don't know how to work with investors. They want to go out and show houses. They want to, you know, take the married couple out, show them what they're looking for, and then write a contract and be done with it. Working with investors, while I enjoy it, it's hard work. You got to go out and look for what they want and go make sure they're buying the right thing so that you develop that trust relationship. And once you establish that relationship, it goes on for years. That's the part I enjoy. I mean, Brett and I have talked about it before. We spend as much time just chatting with our investors as we do talking about real estate. Yep. You know. Which, you know, look, let's. I don't want this whole thing to be a negative uh, conversation about Mike's first experience in Memphis, but uh, he uh, he also bought another property in Memphis uh, in Cordova. And uh, Mike, if I'm not mistaken, you spend a little over one hundred forty thousand. Your rent is what between thirteen fourteen hundred. So your ROI is not as great. However, you got a newer home. Uh, you've got a tenant that pays on time. Uh, that takes care of the home. So you traded off a little bit of ROI on that property, but you've got more stability. So if you had your rathers, higher risk, higher reward, or lower risk, lower reward, what would you pick, knowing what you know now? Yeah, well, obviously higher risk. 
better reward. And I got to tell you, um, and, and that, and all they got, I got, you know, I was able to get a renter obviously because of you, because your help. And I appreciate that by the way. Um, no and, um, um, I do. You, the one thing that a lot of people don't know is also, uh, you know, time of the year, and um, I got caught in the Christmas season and a lot of people do not, you know, are not moving around during that time. So that kind of hit me too a little bit. Cause I was, uh, I think it took me several months to rent that place out, you know, and I bought that one. Yeah. It was a vacant home in, in, a, in a really decent area. And, um, but you know, uh, it, like I said, it was uh, just before Christmas time. And uh, that was a tough little <laughs> rental situation yeah. also, you know, so. Well, let me ask you this. It, with with the properties you purchased in Memphis, and uh, we spoke to a California investor last week who talked about the average return in California is between 5 and 6%. Um, he's currently getting about 10 and 11% on his three properties he just bought here in Memphis. Where do you see, where do you project your rate of return, annual rate of return to be on, um, on Greer once it's rented, um, and on the one in Cordova? You know, uh, uh, I'm happy. I'm, I'm not, I wasn't saying, well, I'm, I'll be I'm satisfied with 10%, but if it could be, uh, if it could be higher, I mean, that would be nice. I mean, you know, 1%, I'm sorry, you know, so, sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it, for example, like on, on Greer, I bought that place for 46 and change. I think it was, um, you know, I mean, if I, if I were able to get, you know, 600, but I think that's why I'm keeping it is because I think we, we, it, we're going to be able to get a little bit more. Yeah. I, saw, I think I saw you getting around seven, seven twenty-five. Right. Right. You did some comps and, um, and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm, uh, if I, you know, I'm glad I met you and it's almost happened by default, you know, it would help me if you'd buy something from me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? We've, we've actually looked at it several places and we just, we either, we just were yeah. just a little bit late or, um, or they turned out to be, you know, something was wrong with them. Yeah. I'm not going to let you get back into that situation. I'd rather buy something that's ready. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to go through what I went through and I appreciate, you sure. know, waiting a little bit longer and, um, and, uh, you know, uh, r- I'd rather buy a home that's, that's in, uh, you know, not where the foundation is cracking and we find out later that, you know, uh, oh, it's going to be another fifteen twenty thousand dollars $20,000. And sure. at that point, it'll, it could break you, you know, one bad move, it could break you. So, uh, no, uh, I think we're on the right path. And um, I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to working uh, with you, uh, yeah, me too. with you, or partnering with you, or whatever. You know, uh, uh, I'm pretty. Uh, I'm. I look at myself as kind of aggressive, and um, you want to make sure you, you're working with a solid person that puts your interest first, and, and that's that's number one. Because other than that. You're just wasting your time and you could actually bankrupt yourself. <laughs> Number one would be make sure you're with somebody that is, has is an established track record and uh, a solid, you know, not only just a salesperson, but just a, a good person in general. Well, I wouldn't go that far. I don't know if I'm a good person, but I'm a good agent. <laughs> you're, you're a good person. Okay. <laughs> He's a good person. Uh, I promise. I'm talking to an Italian, so. 
All right, Mike. I, hey, Bob, I really appreciate you calling in and uh, being with us today. Thank you much. And um, I will be talking to you, I'm sure, later this afternoon. Thank you very much. You guys have a great day. And now, Neighborhood Chat. Foreclosures. As people get back to work, uh, if they've been laid off because of COVID and they get back to work, these forbearance programs will keep them out of foreclosure, I think. Um, uh, It's just, it's a different world now. People in the Great Recession were walking away from their homes because they didn't have any income because they were unemployed. And it was a long-term unemployment. And they knew that they, they could not simply afford to continue to pay the mortgage. Some people were under the impression that if they couldn't pay their mortgage, they needed to move out. On the other hand, I know a small percentage of homeowners that never left never paid their mortgage and they stayed in their home for you know a year or two years before they were foreclosed upon and asked to move out so there was a lot of of lack of understanding that that caused people to simply walk away from their properties now they've got all these forbearance programs in place and some of that's going to be paid for by uh, the taxpayers because the government's going to put it in the stimulus they're going to say hey come up come up with plans to allow forbearances to these folks who have been laid off because of covid and we'll pay for it we'll help cover it that's exactly what's going to happen yeah, and I think what it's what people need to understand is that while Joe Biden or whoever is in office puts out a, a an executive order that says we're going to halt all foreclosures and we're going to halt all evictions. Number one, he doesn't have the authority to do that. The only thing he has the authority to do is pass something that requires that for government insured loans if you're in a landlord and you own your home free and clear and you're renting it out and the tenant hasn't paid in six months they don't have the ability to tell you you can't file an eviction um however the local shelby county courts and the shelby county housing authority have now stuck their noses and thumbs into it and they have shut down people from being evicted regardless um but I think that if, if investors file lawsuits, uh, they would easily win those because they don't have the ability to tell you. Now, if you've taken out a Fannie or Freddie Mac, Mac loan or a FHA loan or something insured by the government, absolutely all day long they can tell you, you borrow the money from us at this interest rate, we guaranteed it, therefore you're going to follow our rules. So no, you can't evict. You're going to continue with a forbearance, and that's just the end of it. So people need to understand that. I know no one's going to spend the money to sue over it, but you need to know that they don't have the ability to shut that down. Well, I was reading just today that a federal judge did make the determination that the eviction uh, moratorium is unconstitutional. Sure it is. Yeah. Yeah. So we we haven't seen the end of that. But it's it's no different than... Uh, let's let's take the state of Florida. Okay, Ron DeSantis told Mr. Biden he wouldn't call him president. What he could do with himself when he hung up the phone when during their conversation. Um, so there's this there's this discussion about what the federal government can do to Florida because if Florida doesn't adhere to what Joe's uh, mandate says, then they can't 
invade Florida. They can't remove people from office. It's this that Florida is their own state. What they can do is pull federal funding, highway funds, stuff like that, which they'll probably do. Florida doesn't care. They 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 apparently they're doing well financially, so they're okay. But the way the the federal in, federally insured loans work is that they can't do anything to you, Texas, Florida. They can't do anything to them if they if they choose not to follow the mandate. But they can reverse and take back federal money, federal grants, highway funds, uh, shared tax revenues. They can take all that away from them. So that's how Jimmy Carter did it. When we dropped the speed limit to fifty-five, what he did was he said to the states, "I can't make you do this, but if you don't, I'm going to withhold your highway funds." Right. So I'm I'm going to see the same thing happen with his moratorium on evictions. If the state of Tennessee doesn't put something in in place. Um, to enforce a moratorium, um, then the federal government could threaten. They could threaten to withhold highway funds, withhold tax revenues, or whatever it is that they they give the state of Tennessee. So that's why most of them are following suit and just putting moratoriums in place. But it's still not legal. You you still can't tell a business owner you're not allowed to make money because the person renting your home isn't paying rent. That's not – you're not – they can't force you to put yourself in bankruptcy over – that moratorium. Well, you know, it was supposed to expire at the end of December. They extended it through March 31st. But now that you have this federal judge claiming that it's unconstitutional, it'd be interesting to see if they extend it again or set it aside. Well, let's talk about that. Why do you think it's unconstitutional? I know why I think it's unconstitutional. I think it's unconstitutional because that's the government telling uh small business how to operate how to operate you we know you invested your money into this property but you do not have the right to evict because they didn't pay rent even though you have a written contract with that tenant that says if you don't pay rent under these restrictions we will evict you and the thing that bothers me is that there are people that actually see no problem with that they, people have no issue with the government telling you and I that we know you have a legal binding contract under the law, but we're going to ignore the law. We know that you're an independent business and you invest money in that property. We're going to ignore that as well. We're going to only protect the person who hasn't paid rent in six months. Now, in Mike's scenario earlier, the property we we're talking about, as soon as that moratorium came out, that woman wouldn't call anybody back, refuse to answer the door because she knew. She knew she, what she did is she rode that moratorium out as long as she could. Yep. Because where she, what, what created a problem for me was that in December, she went and bought a brand new car. But it hadn't uh-huh. paid rent. With all that money, she months. wasn't paying in rent. So she rode the moratorium out because the government let her do it and protected her. Mike lost a ton of money in that, that real estate and that property. And then she had the ability to go out and buy a new car. You tell me how that is anywhere fair other than protecting people that I get. There are people that that need help, right? They've lost their job because of COVID or, you know, they've got issues. We've dealt with people all the time that had terminal illnesses and job loss and all that. So, yeah, there are people that need help. But just to, at a stroke of a pen, just a mandate that, I'm sorry, Mr. Business Owner, you're screwed and your contracts are null and void is, to me, is unconscionable. Yeah. And just so for our listeners, um, so you understand that when you evict 
at least in the state of Tennessee, uh, you file an eviction with the court and they schedule a, a hearing date so that you can go in and tell them, explain to the court why you need to evict and the tenant has a right to come in and say why they either agree or disagree with that. What's happening is the court is not even scheduling a hearing date. They're saying, we're not hearing that case. We're not going to hear any eviction cases until the moratorium is over. So you're stuck. There's literally nothing you can do. The only thing you can do is file a lawsuit. That lawsuit would be heard and you'd have to challenge the president's moratorium or the governor's moratorium or the mayor's moratorium. You'd have to challenge that in open court. Um, And you could win that argument easily, but it still doesn't mean they're going to hear your case even if you win it. How do I become a real estate investor? (laughs) Loaded Please question. Don't go. Don't go to a seminar. <laughs> Listen, you can send me five hundred dollars, and I'll. Uh, you come to Memphis, give me five hundred bucks. I'll put you in my truck. We'll have the best time of your life, and I'll teach you everything you need to know about being a real estate investor. Number one, agree with Glenn. Don't go to these seminars with these. Listen, if these guys' programs are so successful, if I had a program that I could make me a millionaire, why in the world would I go and teach it to everybody else? Keep that in mind. They're only pitching ideas to you because they're hard to make work. They can work, but they're not as easy as they try to make them sound. If they were, they'd be billionaires and they wouldn't be doing these seminars. So don't do that, number one. Yes. Uh, Number two, find yourself, listen, agents, agents are like, flies in the summertime. They're everywhere. Anybody can become an agent. Anybody can study and get a license. Some people fail the test multiple times and don't become agents. But the majority of the agents that do get licensed, I think Glenn said this, what was that statement? That 1% of the agents do 99% of the work. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's true. I mean, the the realtor world is an unusual place in terms of um, the motivations to become an agent. I'm an agent because I enjoy selling real estate and I can make very good money doing it. I work with investors because prior to this, I was in the corporate world. I understand it's a numbers game, you know, and I understand the numbers. So it's easy for me to work with investors because I know what they're looking for. It's not an emotional buy. They're looking at numbers. And so I enjoy working with investors more than I do owner-occupants. But don't tell anybody I said that. I, I will say it out loud. I hate driving people around to look for a house. I can't stand it. But, but I agree with Glenn. Glenn and I have a history together. We've been in business together since 07 in different variations of business. And real estate was always something that was involved in whatever business we were involved in. So we've got a lot of experience. So what I would tell you to do is to find you a good aggressive agent that understands what they're doing because any knucklehead can go out and find you a rental property. And a lot of investors, new investors get burned. They get a bad taste in their mouth and they never go back to it simply because they chose the wrong realtor. Um, With us being realtors, uh, let me put it this way. How much did we do combined last year? 
sales? 10 million, 11 million, 12 million? Oh, no. More than that? We did. Um, 15? Yeah. Okay. Close. Yeah, like so, 18 million. Between Glenn and I, we combined, of course, Glenn did way more than I did because he's better than I am. I, I shouldn't say that because you're going to get all the calls now. <laughs> I, I I've just been doing statement. it longer. Okay. <laughs> so my point is, is that two agents here who know what they're doing can do twice what another agency with seven agents can do in a year. And the only reason is because we work hard seven days a week. We're focused on our clients. We want our clients to be... We want our clients to be successful because if they're successful, then the selfish part of us come out. We get to make more money by continuing to work and find properties for you. A lot of agents just want to do the one and dones, make their commission and walk away. So they don't do the hard work. They don't do the numbers. They don't fine tune it. They don't watch your interest. And that's how people get burned. So if you want to be an investor, key number one, find yourself a good aggressive agent that understands the game and you will be successful ask the right questions ask them how many how many investors do you work with how many properties did you sell last year how many of those were two investors rather than owner occupants those are very important questions the you know honestly most agents don't like working with investors I've, I have, we've done meetings with groups of, of agents. Very large group, by the way. <laughs> and when we talk to them about working with investors, they get that blank stare because they don't understand the numbers and they don't want to have to do that kind of work. But for us, it's, it's, a, it's a relationship business. If you sell to an owner-occupant, you're, you're finding a place for a family to grow and to have kids. And maybe 10 years from now or longer, that, that, uh, that property owner may come back to you if you're still in the game and want you to sell that property. We work with investors that we talk to almost on a, a daily or weekly uh, time frame, and you're constantly trying to find the next property, and they trust you. When it, most of my relationships begin with the nervous investor who's afraid all through the process. But once we close on that first property, I've got investors I can call and just say, I found a property for you. We need to write an offer now. And they'll say, okay, go ahead. And that's because they trust me because we've built a trust relationship in the past with other properties. I have, you know, most investors buy what, five properties? Yeah. But I have investors who have bought as many as 20 plus. We have some that, you know, it's all over the map. You got single family homes, you got uh, uh, multifamily, which is duplex, triplex, fourplex. And it just depends on uh, the investor as to the type of relationship you build with them. Um, but I would say the most important thing is to interview your agent. Yep. Ask them a series of questions and see what kind of answer you get. And if you need to, you need to figure out what those questions are, um, you can go to our website at epmrealestate.com. Both Glenn and I's profiles are on there. 
Our cell numbers are under our photo. And if you're not going to be buying in Memphis, but you're going to be buying somewhere else, pick up the phone and call us. And we'll, we'll give you a few questions to ask that agent that'll, that'll allow you to determine whether this agent is right for you or not and whether they're going to work to protect your interest or simply out to line their pockets and move on. So don't be afraid to call us. If you call us, it doesn't mean you've, you know, we're not going to make you sign a contract that you're, you're our client forever. Thank you for listening to Behind the Curtain Podcast, your real world guide to real estate investment and property management. Be sure to subscribe at BehindTheCurtainPodcast.com. And if you'd like to learn more about Enterprise Property Management's real estate services, please visit us on the web at EPMRealEstate.com. This has been a Sound Ideas Group production for Enterprise Property Management, Inc.